0: On today's morning show, we're going to be talking about one of the trickiest challenges that confronts parents, namely how to talk to their children about sex and matters related to sex. My guest, Bonnie J. Ruff, lived with her husband and her daughters in the Netherlands for a time, and it was during that period that they found their ideas about this very much altered. And she's written a book about it called Beyond Birds and Bees bringing home a new message to our kids about sex, love, and equality, published by SEAL Press. Yes,
1: yeah, so my family moved from where we were living in Minnesota to the Netherlands in 2009, when Dan and I were still pretty new parents. We'd been married for six years, and we had one child, a daughter, who at the time we moved wasn't even quite two. So, um, so you can imagine at that point in my life, um, if you had told me that But I would end up writing a book that, uh, you know, about sex, I would have said, you're nuts. I wasn't comfortable putting the words kids and sex in the same sentence, let alone on the cover of a book with my name on it. So um, that was really the beginning of a big journey for us. Um, And of course, living in the Netherlands isn't all about sex. Um, When you're a new parent, you're looking everywhere for just tips and advice. You're kind of watching really hard to see what those other families around you are doing in their parenting. So... Um, I, at first, kind of just started to see what it looked like for um, Dutch moms and dads and babysitters and caregivers to take care of their kids. And, you know, it wasn't that different from what we do in the U.S. Lots of, you know, adoring care, taking the kids to the park, you know, trying to do their best to feed them healthy food and get them their naps on time. And, I mean, raising kids is raising kids in so many ways. So it took me a while to realize but there were some things that start, were going to start jumping out at me. So, yes, we would go to the park. And um, and while I would say Dutch parents really modeled a really nice sense of relaxed parenting, not so much um, need to chase after the kids, maybe a little more relaxing with coffee and magazines and chatting with friends while kids maybe, like, fall off the slide, um, everybody seemed a little happier for it, a little bit more, um, uh, I would say, um, Content in and parenting and, and independent, uh, the kids, is speaking for the children themselves uh, because they, um, they kind of they were empowered to lead their own way. So this extended in ways that I wasn't quite expecting to see, but also at those parks, say, in the summertime, you would see public wading pools. And it really you know, surprised me the first few times to realize kids are out there completely naked Swimming in the in the um, in the waiting pool, splashing around, and not just little babies. Um, even kids who are young elementary ages might jump in for a refresher after school, or um, uh, yeah, in the afternoon. Uh, with you know, if they didn't bring their suit, Fine, wear your underpants or or nothing. Um, after all, these are just their bodies. Okay, so as a parent, that took a little a little getting used to. And yeah, we tried that a few times with, with our daughter who was two and three ultimately. And in our time in the Netherlands, we moved back to the U S and she was just three and a half. So there was just a different kind of sense about nudity. There was a real clear distinction. I thought in daily life, not just with kids between non-sexual kind of practical, everyday human body nudity and erotic nudity, which was kept in its place. Hmm.
0: One thing that uh, I don't remember seeing in your book, and uh, forgive me if I missed it, but I, I'm, I'm pretty sure you, you don't go into this, but but again, correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm really curious to know why it is that this particular sort of culture has emerged in the Netherlands. I mean, why why is it there, and is there something about Dutch history or Dutch culture or the Dutch language or... Uh, something about the way the Dutch lives that this kind of openness about these matters uh, has emerged there. Uh, Were you able able to to sort that out or is that a question that's just not easy for anybody to answer?
1: I think that's a terrific question and there are some ways of getting at an answer. Um, For one thing, in the year and a half that my family lived in the Netherlands, no, I did not sort it out. It took some Real digging in later on, when we moved back to the United States, um, I noticed for the first time some things about my culture that I had just been too accustomed to, to notice before. You know, lots of really gendered kind of pink and blue clothing and toy aisles, and and certainly just some really disrespectful public discourse about women and bodies. And I was having Mm -hmm. my second daughter. So suddenly I thought, even though I was living in the United States, I wanted to look harder than I ever had at what I had experienced in the Netherlands, which is a place where I felt much better in my body and much more optimistic about my daughter's ability to grow up in, in, um, in a society that would treat her more equally. And so uh, what I discovered was what the Dutch do is to normalize sex. I will never forget walking into the public family science museum, the kind that, you know, lots of cities have, you know, where you have your physics experiments and your, um, you know, your acoustic dish where you can whisper from one side of the room to the other. I mean, real typical science museum stuff, except they also had a huge permanent exhibit called teen facts about sexuality, puberty, and bodies. And it was for all ages. And so I'm standing there on my first visit kind of blushing and going, is this for real? Well, all these Dutch families are just kind of walking around like this is perfectly normal because they have put so much effort into making it normal. And that comes from what a lot of people observe as a real Dutch pragmatism. Um, Dutch people have a reputation for being highly practical above all. So over the course of history and economically speaking, um, you know, the Dutch were, the Dutch realized it would be more practical to be tolerant of people from many nations in, in uh, the Netherlands and to be, um, and to work together, um, both on trade and, and economics, because the more, you know, the more people you welcome, the more difference you have, the more diversity and opportunity you have in your trade system. And then beyond that, too, the Dutch have to work together on this really highly practical problem, which is the encroachment of water from the sea. Most of the Netherlands is completely below sea level. If you don't cooperate with your neighbor uh, taking care of the dike, then everybody goes down. So that attitude of kind of, you know, we're going to do what's practical and we're going to work together, and live and let live, and tolerate each other's slight differences and view of the greater good, also feeds into how they teach young people about sexuality so you have um this effort from the time that children are very young that leads up to kids who from early adolescence have a really clear sense that their body belongs to them of course but also a positive sense that their body is theirs to to know and enjoy and take care of and um and they have the knowledge to make fully informed decisions. So that foundation that begins when kids are really young, so those parents at the park aren't just letting their kids go naked, their kids also are learning correct anatomical terms for the body parts that are out in the sunshine, um, for, for another example, uh, all of that early information is a foundation that builds good choices in adolescence, teen years and adulthood that give the Dutch some of the world's Best sexual health statistics. So, Dutch teenagers and American teenagers um, tend to have sex for the first time at right around the same age, somewhere between maybe 17 and 18. Um, But interestingly, Dutch teenagers give birth five times less often than American, than their American peers do. Um, They don't catch as many STIs, and then they have these other really neat outcomes where they're way more likely to say that. Their first and subsequent sexual experiences were wanted, enjoyed, chosen equally by them, um, and well-timed. So um, not only are they having safer sex, but they're also not having sex that they don't want. Um, So those kinds of things, you know, those build on those cultural attitudes where, okay, look, you know, Dutch parents are... So much like us as American parents in so many ways, they're squeamish too. They ask the same questions: When do I need to talk to my kids about sex? What am I going to say? How do I do this? But their answers are somewhat different because it's all in service of, okay, I don't have to love it. But practically speaking, I have to give them this knowledge and this equip- equipment to, um, you know, intellectual equipment, I should say, in order to... Um, have the best shot at opportunity and and success in the long run, because that's what real sexual health offers. Yeah, great opportunities for education, great relationships.
0: And so your book, in a sense, is an exploration of how to do that in your own home, in your own family, right here in America, trying to draw from some of what you regarded as maybe the best lessons from uh, from what you learned in your 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 time living uh, in Amsterdam and in subsequent uh visits uh, at the end of your first chapter you write this so did this mean that sex was missing from american culture that didn't make much sense sex was splashed all over the place in the good old US of A and we'd proudly brought our trademark titillating mix of the puritanical and the promiscuous to the rest of the planet, but what was missing in my American life, in countless American lives, was an everyday place for conversations about sexuality. When it came to sex, we had do and don't, but almost no, hmm, let's think about that. Uh, And then you say a little later, this meant it was time to say goodbye to the awkward, all-American, old-fashioned fact blurt about reproduction and protection. (laughs) Instead of nursing dread about puberty, I needed to start thinking in the wildly different terms of hopes and dreams for my children in their sexual lives. I'm speaking with Bonnie J. Ruff and talking about her newest book, which is Beyond Birds and Bees, bringing home a new message to our kids about sex, love, and equality. I want to be sure I have a chance to ask you about uh, writing a book not only about matters that make a lot of us a bit squeamish, but even beyond that, the fact that uh, you are, it seems, rather unfettered in terms of what you are willing to share about in terms of your own family. Uh, you and your husband and your two daughters. Uh, I wonder if you could just say a word about the experience of writing this book in terms of that very personal element and uh, how much you kind of wrestled with how much to talk about this and uh, and what uh, input did you have from your husband in terms of sort of trying to decide where those lines should be, or if there should be any lines at all?
1: Great question. So this leads to something, actually, that I was just thinking about yesterday um, when I was reflecting on the experience of writing this book. Um, My family lives in a cozy little bungalow. We have a small space. I have a little converted coat closet that I can type in, but when I really need to spread out and you know put studies and books and um, notes all over the table, the kitchen table is also my desk, and the kitchen table is the same as the dining room table. So make no mistake, it's it's the center of the home. And so there have been so many days and nights where my um, my husband and my two children have have lived and worked around my um, my mess uh, as I as I wrote this book and. So, yes, that has meant that uh, my kids from the ages of i don't know two, three um, on up to where they are now they're seven and eleven years old, have been able to read the signs of books that I maybe didn't think I would have left laying around, or um, the, you know the titles of scientific uh, studies and or my messy drafts all marked up, and where I say things maybe uh, in a way that is uncomfortably you know, too blunt, something I i know I'll change later, but just ha- don't quite have the words for yet. So this process has really unfolded in front of my family and at the center of, of our family life. And that has been a real challenge. But then ultimately, you know, my kids might see you at the table while uh, mom, you know, as they're practicing their reading skills, what does is, what is making mean? And I might be forced to answer a question that, uh, not forced, but, but invited to answer a question that I didn't expect to address at that age. And yet, you know, this process isn't about just getting um, getting motivated. In a way, it, it you know, I wasn't just inspired to try to do things differently with my kids. And my husband, too, um, he's been a long you know, in full agreement on this journey, um, because, you know, for us, we're, you know, raising our children together. And um, and so that's kind of another element of, of conversation. How are we going to handle this topic? Uh, but we've been very much on the same page. And so again, it wasn't just that we were inspired to do things differently by everything we were learning along the way, but also required to do everything differently, because it was right out front and center. And, you know, answering a question, like, what is lovemaking is an awesome opportunity to go, oh, well, you know, those things we've talked about, about sex and how that can work. Well, there's another really very important part of that, and that's a relationship. So let's talk about love. Um, so those are, those are great openings that, that I otherwise probably wouldn't have had. Um, and as far as what to include from my own family life, my kids know everything that's about them in this book um we work together on what to include and what not to include they're proud and um you know they i think in many ways our whole family has been a team in the writing of this book hmm. and maybe while it seems i reveal a lot we still have we still have our private moments so. <laughs> and it's not all there <laughs>
0: right uh I want to kind of make my way through some of the interesting uh, questions that you you talk about, and we should also mention that uh, the first part of the the book, the part one, is called Hatch, and uh, talks about some of the the questions that that arise uh, with with youngsters, and then part two, Fly, is uh, as as the children get a little bit older. And and the questions become a little bit different, and in some ways, maybe, uh, in some ways, a little more, a little more, uh, a little more c- uh, complicated. In the second chapter of the book, called "Dropping the Fig Leaf," uh, you are uh, talking about this whole question of of how open to be with one's own body, and the whole matter of nudity, and how normal nudity should be. Uh, whether we're out in a public park or or even in one's own home. It's a really interesting chapter. One of the things I want to be sure to ask you about is when you touch on the fact that uh, in the Netherlands, this is not a sort of written-in-stone, uh, unchanging attitude, that you have seen over the last few years uh, some change among the Dutch public and certain things are emerging there that uh, are very much an issue here as well including matters of things like like body shaming and and uh, web shaming internet harassment and 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 so on um and i'm so glad that you talk about that because i think it's really easy for an american to make very blithe assumptions about well this is how it is in the netherlands and this is how it is in mozambique and and we also tend to very simplistically believe that how it is today is how it will be tomorrow and uh the netherlands is a complicated place and uh and evidently when it comes to this matter of of openness with one's body uh it's it's also complicated
1: absolutely absolutely i mean Yes, any society has exceptions to any rule or, or general perception and, that we might have. And what I noticed is definitely that some of those things are shifting of late in the Netherlands from things people told me and also things that I could observe or read in the media. Um, and one thing that I thought was really helpful was noticing how um, how there are structures set up in the Netherlands to help push back against Negative attitudes that are start that may start to take root, so um, for example was, there's a very popular sex ed curriculum in the Netherlands schools um, can take gui- schools take guidance from a central uh, federal um, agency, and so there's a rule that schools need to address sexuality in particular matters of physical health. Um, and what they call sexual assertiveness, which is basically knowing your own boundaries and, and knowing that you have the right to protect them um, or the right to, to name them, that is, and that you also have the obligation to respect other people's boundaries. And then the other thing the curriculum really has to address, or I should say the, the rules say you have to address in school, is um, is homophobia. They are working really hard on making sure that children are um, taught that Every person, no matter how they identify, has the right to um, to feel desire and enjoy pleasure and and live at, you know a fulfilling life in every facet. And so, yeah, without being judged or persecuted. So, those things um, those things are required. They don't always happen, but they're supposed to be happening for kids from the age from kindergarten on up, which is age four on up. So. Um, what they're getting is what they have is, you know, there's a really popular curriculum that covers all that. There are other curricula too. But what that is is that there's an annual opportunity, especially with this most popular curriculum, Kribles in your which is uh, kind of means butterflies in your stomach. Um, Every year they have a big project week, so they have publicity around it, and they choose a theme. So two years ago, the theme that they chose was um, basically – I, I can't remember the exact way they termed it, but the idea was to tackle sex shaming and especially a sexual double standard for boys and girls and to teach boys and girls from an early age that expectations for sexual behavior and respect for others um, belong equally to boys and girls and that there's no reason why girls should um, be slut-shamed and, uh, or boys should have the right to... Um, I don't know, uh, judge girls for having having bodies, <laughs> which is kind of the essence of the question. So they have this really neat built-in mechanism where they can reach great numbers of this upcoming next generation all at once with a targeted idea that they want to inculcate about you know values and treating others well and treating sexuality as, as a normal, healthy, and Ideally, very positive and fulfilling part of life.
0: Mm-hmm. I appreciated that in your this this chapter, uh, which is about several things, but among them, this uh, you know kind of notorious uh, notion of, of public nudity uh, being being allowed in, in a place like like Amsterdam, and and uh, the you know kind of in, interesting way in which the Dutch tend to approach approach that. You did touch on the reality of the fact that in these public parks where one might see some of the children frolicking with little or nothing on in terms of clothing, that there are people there doing things they should not be doing. I mean, namely people who are lurking on the hillside and taking pictures of other people's children and 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 perhaps deriving a, a kind of pleasure from that that is, is not quite right. And You say something really interesting here. You say, yet there are risks. Every caring adult has at some point been chilled to the bone by fears of child abuse. Pedophiles do exist, and abusers can lurk in children's own families and community circles. It's not a threat we imagine without basis, although it may be one we misunderstand. What do you think we misunderstand about that threat? Or in what way do we allow that threat, that awful possibility, uh, to maybe affect our our decision-making, our choices in, in ways that you think are maybe ultimately not helpful?
1: This was so mind-blowing for me because, you know, when I was at the waiting pool and the Dutch mom next to me made a comment about, oh, it's been in the papers again, you know, there, there have been people taking pictures by the pool. And I asked her, well... Don't the other parents know that? Why are they still letting their kids play without their swimsuits on? And she kind of looked at me like, isn't that kind of a funny question? It really took a while for me to understand their perspective on this. And to see, again, that, that incredible pragmatism, um, because after all, I think a, the, the Dutch have a, a bit of a reputation, at least the, in Amsterdam, for being hedonists, where the truth is I would say they're a, a relatively conservative, and they're, um, again, really kind of uh, focused on having orderly outcomes, which is you know the reason for that normalization and, and teaching people what they need to know to be prepared. So um, she kind of... You know, she gave me this funny look, and she said, well, of course they know. um, But why would they, you know, why would they essentially tamper with the children's sense of freedom, she was saying. It's not the children's fault what's going on in someone else's mind. And, in fact, we can't really know what's going on in someone else's mind. So, um, yeah, her argument is that being photographed inappropriately was less likely to hurt a child than telling them they have to stay dressed because adults might do something inappropriate if they don't. Hmm. To, To her and to the other Dutch parents around the pool, the children's freedom was what was really at risk. So... I mean, for many, many parents, and this makes so much sense, the thought of a child being exploited by having their photo taken, it's like, well, no. I mean, you're you're impinging on the child's freedom and rights that's, that's hurting them. But, like, on the ground, what does the child feel? If they don't know that happens, um, which is never to say that it's okay to do that, but if they don't know it happens, but they do know that now they have to wear a swimsuit because – something about their body is wrong or dangerous or makes other people misbehave. Mm. What does that message turn into to what she was trying to tell me is that's where shame comes from and shame, of course, can, can cause all kinds of other problems Um, and teach us that, you know, a lot of confusing things about our bodies and whether or not they're, they're telling us our bodies, you know, are giving us the right messages about what's good and pleasurable and what's what's not okay. And, um, yeah, so that was a real stunner for me. And it took some getting used to, and, you know, honestly still does. My kid didn't make it every time. Um, but, but yeah, that was a, and and, you know, I should add too that. Um, I'm someone who who did have a personal experience with a babysitter that uh, something that never should have happened when I was just a really little kid, three years old. And my parents, um, were awesome about it. You know, I told them my babysitter was acting funny and they immediately, you know, found me a new babysitter. But, um, but I just want to make it really clear that I'm aware that that is a real threat and still I'm able as a parent to see that there's what I think I may have misunderstood, to get back to your question, what I may have misunderstood is the idea that I can control what they do that if I do everything right, my child won't get hurt. Mm. That if I teach my child everything they need to know, they can prevent themselves from getting hurt. This is some of the most awful stuff to think about. But the truth is, we never really do know what's going on in someone else's mind. And um, and so for the, the Dutch pragmatism is we don't get involved in thought policing because it's probably, we're probably not going to get it right anyway. Um, so we never really know what someone else is thinking. Hmm. No matter what we do as parents, there's always a, a little bit of trust left over at the end, or hopefully because we can't protect our kids from everything. Hmm. And finally, no matter how well we equip our kids, and in fact if we over-equip them so that they're, they're super scared and secretive, that might, that might not even um, serve them well in the long run either. But if they're tricked or if they're abused or if they get hurt, it's so important for them to know that it wasn't their fault. And it's not necessarily anyone's fault who's raising that child. If they didn't tell them, oh, well, I forgot to tell you about, I thought you about the scenario with the, you know, the stranger with the kittens and the lollipop and the car, but I forgot to tell you about the, you know, it's like we, we do what we can, but, um, but yeah, we, we can't protect against everything. And trying to do that can put so much pressure And negative pressure laden with fear onto our young children's bodies that it can't help but kind of worm its way into how they feel their sexuality as they get older. And that was what I wanted to try to tackle in a different way with my kids.
0: Understandably. In the book, in the chapter called Finding Words, you get into some of the nitty gritty of what I think a lot of parents kind of dread, you know, namely, how to talk about this, what words to choose, how specific to be. And I think you, you ended up coming up with what I think is a, 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 a very good goal. You said, back in Seattle, my new goal was to get more comfortable by reassuring myself that telling my kids all about bodies and reproduction was not only appropriate, but also important and later in the chapter you you say you know you there was part of you that hoped that uh that uh if this could be left unspoken for a while it would give, maybe give you more time to figure this out and so you know to to not broach these topics prematurely to put them off as long as possible but you say one dutch woman suggested quite the opposite what if parents who don't talk much about sex but who are open and honest about other charged subjects, health, faith, addiction, mortality, inadvertently send the message that sex is a less important part of life, something to get around to uh, learning later, like water polo or how to truss a chicken. (laughs) I think that's really intriguing because, of course, I think uh, a lot of us, the suggestion is that you follow the lead of the child, which I think to some extent you're still saying it makes sense, but that uh it does not make sense even though it probably feels good to put this off as long as possible because that sends that in and of itself sends the wrong message about how much this matters in someone's life
1: yeah and and first of all what i i want to say that one of the most important things that i i have learned is that it really is and i know people say this all the time but it's true it's really never too late to start a new conversation um, I had so many huge revelations when I was in my 30s and parenting. I mean, and I didn't have bad sex ed. My parents were fantastic, and my um, and my school actually and my teachers started before middle school with our sex ed. But at the same time, I just yeah, I, I learned so much and and really formed my values. Finally, um, uh, pretty late, pretty late in the game. Um, So again, never too late, but at the same time, um, yeah, it was really interesting for me to hear that friend point out that, you know, we talk about other really hard stuff with kids. I mean, a lot of three and four-year-olds will start to ask about mortality, and families have different ways of talking about that, but none of it's easy, and then there's that question of, do we wait until a child asks, and unfortunately... It, it's, really, it's really better to beat them to it in a way because some kids might, just might not. And, um, and then just kind of think of other, you know, analogies. What if we waited for our kids to ask us, like, Mom, Dad, is it important for me to have protein in my meals? Um, you know, we're telling them constantly things about nutrition and how to take care of their bodies and... How to be kind to their friends, and you know we're giving them life little instructions from the very beginning, and so it's almost kind of funny to keep one chapter all locked up. It starts to, it, it kind of starts to make that, make that one seem like well, and this is, um, this one we're not going to handle like the others because it's so different. And at right. the same time, why should it be so
0: different? The other thing that you raise that I think is a superb point is that uh, one of the ways in which this might seem like a traumatic conversation for the child, which sometimes you hear about, is because some suggest, I'm reading from your book now, it's because they aren't, uh, that, that maybe it's helpful to talk about it sooner rather than later, because then the child is not given time to build up false illusions that must later be toppled. In other words, maybe the trauma of the talk is really the trauma of undoing the familiar, imagined stories a child has relied on to answer their own questions. In other words, if we leave it to the child and to their own imagination for too long, they build up their own understanding of how all of this works. And then we come along to, in a sense, topple that and replace it with the facts and... uh yeah. It's better, I think you're arguing, it's better if if they can know as much about this uh, earlier before they have a chance to kind of create their own sort of mythology around it.
1: Some of the best sex educators I know say that with their own kids, their goal is for their kids to to not be able to remember when or how they learned or started to learn about Human sexuality. So you know, what whereas I think a lot of us can remember, you know, some moment being sat down on the end of the bed by mom or dad and handed a book and you know encouraged to ask questions and then you know everybody breaks a sweat and and uh, you know uh, chat over. Um, the idea is for kids to be so familiar with it, just like you know they're so familiar with the idea that you know again back to nutrition. Um that you know it's important to eat your vegetables. what kid can remember how how young they were you know, or at what age they first heard that right they've been hearing it all their lives it's normal it's expected and um and so doing that the same way with sexuality has definitely been a goal that I've seen. However, if your kids are older, there are so many easy ways in to to catching up i mean there have been plenty of times where because um, again, I'm just like, my family is kind of my test kitchen. I'm bringing home the things I'm learning as fast as I can as I worked on this book. And, um, and a lot of times I've been, I've felt behind, but gosh, you can just say, um, Hey, by the way, you know what I realized there's something I forgot to tell you, or there's something I wish I had told you a while ago. And I realized I want to talk about it now. Um, you can ask him, what do your friends think about, x y or z you can turn on the radio and let something about me too or um or you know reproductive rights lead the way into a conversation do you know what that word means something like that um Interesting.
0: yeah there's so many ways in <laughs> at any age right you have a whole chapter in which you essentially are talking about children playing doctor with one another and uh it's funny. I I had not, I can't think of the last time I even thought about this. And, and of course, children playing doctor is something you really probably only see if you're a parent. Uh, and even then a lot of times children are playing doctor in a sense in secret. Uh, but so, so it's just kind of fun to, to read that and to think about how that plays out in the typical American child's life. And one of the things you, you uh, say in your book is that kids play doctor all over the world, including the Netherlands, and that in the Netherlands, uh, playing doctor is certainly allowed, but with rules. Just explain to our listeners what some of these rules are for proper uh, playing doctor for children.
1: Sure. Sure. I'd love to. This was yet another one of those, like, throw the hands over the head in utter amazement uh, learning moments for me as I researched this book, and I also think you know this gets back to what you were asking earlier about sharing about kids and family and, and personal stories. But I, to me, like the story that opens this chapter and and many of the others in the book, probably you know as as kind of sweet and tender and close to home as they are, they're probably going to be really universal for for families everywhere because kids, you know, if they don't have shame or if they haven't been taught rules to the contrary necessarily, they are exploring their bodies all the time because it's a perfectly normal thing to do and they do it with each other too. So what we're talking about here by playing doctor is, is, you know, we're using that as a euphemism for kids playing together with their clothes off and looking at and maybe even touching each other. And so, of course, we're used to the advice um, as American parents of of knowing that that's perfectly normal behavior for for kids, you know, within, you know, a pretty, you know, broad, uh, you know, three, four-year age range difference. Um, And it's just, it's really expected and normal. But our advice we get from, you know, every respected source of parenting information is, yes, It's normal. It's expected. There's nothing unhealthy about it, but we have to put a stop to it. Mm. Well, back to that Dutch pragmatism. It's normal. It's healthy. It's perfectly expected. But we have to teach them some rules so that they play safely and they learn that there needs to be mutual agreement. Everybody has to be having fun and want to play the game. We have to, you know, plant the seeds for consent and um, kindness between kids as they play together. So Um, They do. They have a set of rules that they teach kids that, okay, if you're going to play doctor, then, yes, you have to make sure that everybody agrees to the game. You may do no pain. And this one, nothing in any orifices. So they really and to me, for me, you know, in the U.S., it's like, yeah, right. Imagine that with, you know, one family in the neighborhood, uh, you know, allowing that. So I had to add a fourth rule as an American parent, have the other kids check with their folks to see if their family has the same rules. Um, But at any rate, yeah, I mean, that just, that was so incredible to me because, of course, I had a a little four-year-old at the time who was really interested in playing that way for a short time. And and I thought, I don't want to tell her that, what seems fun and is definitely innocent and, and isn't necessarily unsafe at all for her to be doing based on all the research that I did, I don't want to tell her that it's wrong and that she's reading the wrong signals from her body um, and, and her mind. Where she, you know, So to be able to tell her, you know, even if it needed to be different with her friends because their families didn't have the same rules, that in some cases kids are allowed to play and these are the rules they follow how cool, how validating for her, right? So that she doesn't have to start to think, okay, wait, so when my body and my, my mind tell me that something is, is happy and cheerful and right and feels good, in this case, I have to know that it's wrong and mm. that I can't do it and that that's dangerous. Um, I didn't actually believe that as a parent. I really questioned it. So mm. It was really exciting to, to hear that there could be another approach to that. Right.
0: We should mention that much of the book uh, goes beyond the matter of teaching children about sex and parts of the body and the the, the fundamentals of intercourse and so on, where babies come from, basically. Uh, But the book also takes a lot of time exploring matters of gender and the assumptions we make about boys do this and girls do that and so on. And uh, you learned a lot from the Dutch about this as well. I want to just take a couple of minutes to have you touch briefly on on two matters uh that have occurred in your own home uh one of them being the matter of of your your husband Dan uh sharing with friends that he tries not to go out of his way to tell your daughters that that they're pretty he tries to tell them other things besides that kind of compliment that we so often give to girls and the other thing is a game that he created called 20 Catches, which, and, and in both of these instances, we're talking about trying to break down some of those gender stereotypes that ultimately can be so damaging. Uh, explain what we're talking about here.
1: Isn't that so interesting? The thing about, there was this day when he told his colleagues, yeah, they were talking about what they say to their daughters, that two other moms, and how, you know, their, their belief, which is, definitely not necessarily wrong that they needed to be building up their daughter's self-esteem by telling them that they're pretty uh so that they would believe in themselves and dan kind of innocently not realizing that he was about to get his head bit off in a wonderful way uh you know i don't i don't really do that i don't think i've ever told my daughters they're pretty and they were like go home immediately and rectify this problem but um but he, he stood by his his thought about that. He You know, the whole world's gonna yeah, maybe traffic in messages about women and attractiveness and I reject that game. My message to my kids is that's that's not um that's not a, a value system that That I support, so I don't want to. He would like to tell
0: them they're fast, they're smart, they're strong, they're kind, all kinds of other things. It really doesn't matter that they're pretty, or it or it shouldn't matter uh, to the world, and in in a sense, it shouldn't matter to them. Their self esteem should not be so tied up in uh, that's a pretty dress, boy. Your hair is pretty, boy. You are pretty. Uh, We need to be talking about other things. Um, exactly. and, and we do that with girls in a way that we, you know, we do that much more with girls than we do with boys. And explain to our listeners about the game of 20 catches that your, your, catches. That your husband created.
1: Yeah, so this was, Dan was doing this for years with our kids. He has a daily reminder that pops up on his phone that says 20 catches. His rule is that he wants to invite the kids, um, and really encourage them to join him or each other or someone else. In a game of just make 20 catches a day, you just have to make 20 catches a day. It doesn't matter if that's with, you know, a ball in the yard or a pine cone in the woods or with a bar of soap in the bathtub, try to make 20 catches a day. And I I thought this was so silly for so long. And then I came across some research that said that without meaning to, adults practice more spatial awareness games with boys than with girls particularly sports, especially things like playing catch and playing ball. So somehow he just knew in his gut, like, okay, he, he must have felt behind at some point and so like, all right, we need, to do, we need to kind of remediate here. We're going to get – so at that point I said, okay, I'm done laughing at you about 20 catches. I think we better make it 40 because this is good for the kids. It's good for any kid, but for girls who may have less of that type of play, that can help them uh, develop skill sets that – that they might otherwise like behind it because they don't get as much practice as boys might. So um, my kids are awesome at catching, and I, I don't think that their uh, spatial skills are too poor either, I, I have to say. So um, I love that he started that just kind of from from his own instinct about what, what would be good for them.
0: Right. And uh, in, a, in a much broader discussion that uh, also touches on the kind of silly matter of we dress our girls in pink and we dress our boys in blue uh, and and other sort of assumptions that you saw kind of blown apart, especially by your time in, in, in Amsterdam. You say the message was clear. Before they were boys and girls, kids were kids. Let's treat them like kids and uh, and let some of these other chips sort of fall where they may. Well, you go on to talk about all kinds of other things in your book, in, including uh, when youngsters begin to be interested in one another and the whole matter of how sex should be taught in school. You lay out for us the whole matter of CSE, comprehensive sexuality uh, education, and and touch on really uh, intriguing questions all, all over the place. And I think the te- take takeaway from your book, which uh, I, I want to make sure you, you agree with this, is that the point is not for our listeners or anybody who reads your book to necessarily agree with the choices that you and your husband Dan have made about the way that you are raising your two daughters and the way you are handling these matters, but that you want all of us to think about this and uh, and to think about Uh, all kinds of possibilities beyond the little box of comfort where where people might be inclined to remain. I mean, you you want us to think about a a lot of different ways to approach these important questions. Is that fair to say?
1: Absolutely. For me, this project just paid me rewards day after day with the things that I learned and was able to come home and um, think about differently and approach differently. And I just, to me, the whole process and experience was so fun and so fascinating and also gave me the sense of permission and validation that this side of life and the side of teaching kids doesn't have to be so painful. I mean, it's always going to be awkward at first, but, but the more the better, and it, it can actually go beyond getting easier all the way into being pretty fun so that's, that was a huge surprise for me, and, um, and it's, I just want to share kind of the, almost just that bliss of, holy cow, look what I found out.
0: <laughs> Bonnie J. Ruff. Her book is called Beyond Birds and Bees, bringing home a new message to our kids about sex, love, and equality, published by Seal Press. I'm Gregory Berg.